Last night I started talking about Paul's secrets to happiness and I've jotted down just 20 things. 19 of them are from the book of Philippians because in Acts chapter 16, this is where we started last night. I read the story of when Paul got his supernatural call to go into Philippi and uh, when he was in Philippi, he was thrown in prison and yet with his back beaten, feet and hands in the stocks, he just broke out into song at midnight. Praising God. How can a person do stuff like that? And you know, I mentioned last night, he didn't do it to get something. Some people will praise God and go through the motions if they think it's what will set them free. But Paul, when the prison doors were open, the earthquake came and they were totally set free. Nobody left. They weren't praising God to get something. Here's a radical thought. They were actually praising God with no agenda. They just loved God. How can a person do that? How can you praise God in a terrible situation? And I was studying through the book of Philippians a few months back and the Lord just showed me some of the keys, some of the secrets that Paul had about how to be happy and how to live in this joy. And so this is what we started talking about. Last night, I talked about the first thing was from Acts chapter 16, verse 9, that he had a supernatural revelation of God's will. You've got to know what God's will for your life is. The second thing, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, we were talking about that his focus was on other people. If you are just focused on yourself, you're going to be a miserable person. You've got to get out of yourself. This is what Pastor Derry and Karen were talking about. That's what we've been talking about. You've got to get into other people. And when you start living to give, you'll find out that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And that's not only talking about money. That's just talking about giving of yourself. You need to be doing something that you are producing and blessing other people instead of like a vacuum cleaner that's just sucking everything you can get towards yourself. That's a recipe for disaster, for being sad and lonely. And then I talked about from... Philippians chapter one, beginning around verse 12 and following about that. You've got to have something that's bigger than yourself that you live for. Paul was into the kingdom and building the kingdom so much that if it meant that he was going to be in prison for five years, so be it. He was trying to comfort people by saying it's okay because the gospel is going forth. People's lives are being changed. And so it's well worth it me being in prison. Most people that are selfish and self-centered would think it's not worth anything. I don't care what good comes out of it. If I'm suffering, I hate it. You know what? That's, you aren't going to be a happy person unless you get something that's bigger than yourself, that it's worth dying for, that it's worth sacrificing for. If you don't ever find something bigger than yourself, you're going to be a miserable person. That's a powerful truth. I could re-preach that one. And then we talked about Philippians chapter one, verse 20 and the verses following, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So the first thing that I call a secret of what made Paul so happy was that he had died to himself and it wasn't about himself. He wasn't seeking to just minister to himself and take care of himself, but he was, he loved God first. You can't just love other people. You have to love God because this kind of selfless love only comes from God. And you can't do it just in yourself. You'll find some people without a relationship with the Lord who are what they call humanitarians and they try and go out and help people and stuff. But you know what? It always winds up being, I think, incomplete and far short of what God intends it to be. In yourself, you just can't love other people in a selfless way. You have to have the supernatural ability of God flowing through you. So it starts with loving God first. And then once his love comes in you, then you start loving people in a selfless way. So those are the four things we've talked about. Let's turn over to Philippians chapter two. And I just want to continue uh, his letter to this, these people right there in Philippi where he was thrown in prison and give you some of the keys or the secrets that Paul had to walking in such happiness and joy. In chapter two, this is Philippians chapter two, verse one. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves." 
Look not every man on his own things, but look every man also on the things of the other. And so one of the things I'd say right here is that Paul uh, was admonishing people to walk in love. You know what? If you are going to have happiness in your life, you're going to have to learn how to get along with people. You're going to have to learn how to turn the other cheek. And I could go a bunch of different directions. This is a huge subject right here. And I've got to cover four things in today's message. So I haven't got time to give this a lot of treatment. But there is a lot to getting along with people. And it starts by some of the things I was talking about last night. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 says, only by pride comes contention. The only thing that makes you angry is your pride, your self-focus, your self-centeredness. And I know that there's probably a lot of people, you know, this is a great group. This is a Friday morning. We've got, this isn't your nod to God crowd. You're the fanatics. So I appreciate you coming. But did you know out of this group, I can guarantee you there's a lot of people that just disagreed with what I said because you've been taught that, no, you just, that's your personality type. You're just a mean, harsh type of person. You're a type A personality. You got a prophet's motivation and we got all kinds of excuses for us being angry and bitter and carrying a chip on our shoulder. Some of us say, but you don't understand. I was abused when I was a child and we've, we've bought into this stuff that we have to be this way. But the scripture says the only thing that makes you angry is your self-focus. That's it. If you weren't so in love with yourself and out to promote yourself, if you thought more about the other person than you thought about yourself, did you know what? It would just literally diffuse anger on the inside of you. My brother was a kind that used to get mad and lose his temper. And I mean, that guy nearly killed me a bunch of times when we were growing up. I remember times that he'd just beat me up and they'd have to use towels to soak up all of the blood. And uh, anyway, my brother, after he'd do this and then he'd see the damage that was done by him losing his temper, he'd always come back and he says, I'm sorry, I I wasn't aware of how I was hurting you. I wasn't thinking about you. You know what he's doing? He's validating what the scripture says that a person with a temper, you've had somebody affect you and you aren't thinking about them. You aren't thinking about why they did what they did. You're just thinking about yourself and you don't think about other people. And then when your emotions calm down and you see the damage that you've done, all of a sudden you see other people and you feel sorry for what you've done. If you could get to where it wasn't all about you and if you thought of other people and why have they done to me what they've done? If you were to think about their side of the story, it would diffuse the anger on the inside of you. That is a powerful truth. And I could expand on that a lot, but this is what Paul is saying right here. He says, we need to walk in love. And the way you do it, he told us here in uh, verse uh, two, he says, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love being of one accord, of one mind. And then in verse three, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. It didn't say let each esteem other as much as themselves. It said esteem others better than yourselves. I don't think that this is talking about that you dislike yourself and put yourself down and have a bad self-image or anything like that, but it's just saying that you need to esteem other people and love other people more than you love yourself. You need to get to a place to where you would literally lay your life down. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 13, no greater love has any man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then the next verse, he says, you are my friends. The greatest love that you could ever have for anybody is to literally sacrifice your life so that somebody else will prosper. And you know, if you're going to be happy, you're going to have to learn that there's people that are more important than you and you getting your way and you having your needs always met. There is a satisfaction that comes in laying your life down for people. I don't know how to explain it exactly, except I believe it's the Holy Spirit. I believe it's, it's God. 
This is the way he is. As a matter of fact, I don't want to leave this point yet, but the next point I make starts in the next verse where it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it talks about how Jesus sacrificed himself and humbled himself and laid his life down for people. That's not me beeping, is it? There goes my little notes. I hardly ever use notes. And the one time I use them, I drop them. Thank you, David. And so anyway, it starts talking about Jesus, how he laid his life down. If you want to walk in love, Jesus loved you more than he loved himself. That is amazing. You know, I had one of our Bible college students come to me last year and he had heard me say something about that the scripture says Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And that really bothered him. And he got to thinking about it. And he came and asked me, he says, now, are you saying that God knew that man was going to rebel and that before he even formed man, he already had planned on sending his son, Jesus? And I said, yeah. And I gave him two or three scriptures that said that. And he says, that really bothers me. He says, why would God create us if he knew all of the terrible, evil things that were going to happen? If he knew of all of the Hitlers, all of the Pharaohs, all of the rape, all of the murder, all of the divorce, all of the pain, the sickness and suffering, if God knew that this was going to happen, why would he have gone ahead and created man knowing that this was going to happen? And you know what? It kind of threw me for a loop. I'd never looked at it quite from that standpoint. And I thought about it just a second. I said, the only explanation that I can have for that is that despite all of the hurt and all of the pain, like one of the scriptures that just really touches me every time I read is Genesis chapter six. I believe it's around verse nine, somewhere in there. And it says, the Lord saw all of the evil that was on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And he repented that he had made man on the earth. Man, that just, that really breaks my heart every time I read that, to think that God created us for His glory, for His fellowship, and yet He got so grieved with mankind that it repented Him that He had created man on the earth. The only reason I can see that God would have done this knowing what the results was going to be is that He also saw the good. He saw those of us who would accept Him and receive His salvation, and Jesus thought you were worth it. Jesus thought all of the suffering and all of the pain that he went through, all of the hurt to people, it's worth it just to have you and me. Man, that is awesome. That puts a value on us that most people don't recognize. But you know what? Jesus literally loved us more than he loved himself. And that's the reason it talks us to walk in love. It tells us to esteem others better than ourselves. And then immediately he goes into, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he starts using Jesus as an example. So when we start talking about walking in love, you can't truly love other people unless you are willing to esteem them better than yourself. You know, the world talks about love and they'll say that you ought to walk in love, but it's, it's a carnal type of love that I love you because you're worth loving. Because you're, I scratch your back because you scratch my back. I'm going to love you because you agree with me and because you benefit me. But the moment you become a liability and the moment you cost me something, man, you're out of here. This is exactly what's going on in most marriages today. Most marriages, it's not, you know, marriage should be about you finding somebody that you are willing to lay down your life for and die for them, to help them succeed and to help make them the person they're supposed to be. That's a scriptural way of looking at it. Again, you can go to Ephesians chapter five and see this. It tells husbands to love their wife the way that Christ loved the church. And I guarantee you, Christ didn't look at you and think, I've got to have you. This is a jewel in my crown. Man, they are so awesome. I can't live without them. No, he looked at you and thought they can't live without me. And he decided that I am going to give myself for these people because this is the only chance they've ever got of making it. He gave his life for us. And so 
The reason most people marry is not with the scriptural uh, mindset where you find somebody that you literally want to just give your life to. And if it costs you everything you've got, if it costs you every dream that you've got, if it takes every ounce of energy out of you, you want to help this person succeed. That's a biblical mindset. Instead, it's the exact opposite. Most people find the woman who is so beautiful that man, he thinks everybody's going to envy me when I walk down the road and I got her by my side and people will be jealous of me. And it's all about me. And it's all about, they're going to help me fulfill my dreams. They are going to help me do this. The woman picks the guy who's the captain on the football team and got this long wavy hair and buff looking and everything. And Then after a while you get married and you get developed the Chester drawers disease (laughs) where your chest is done dropped down into your drawers. (laughs) Instead of long wavy hair, it's no hair, (laughs) man. Instead of the homecoming queen, now she's getting, you know, saggy in places and wrinkles and things. And all of a sudden people say, I've lost my love. The love's gone out of our, all that you ever had was love for yourself and you were using them. And as long as they're an asset to you and as long as they're benefiting you, then you just suck the life out of them. It's like sticking a straw in a can or something and just till you hear the, you know, it's the end of it. And the moment you get to the end, well, I've lost my love. The relationship's over and you throw them away and go get you somebody else who will be, you'll be able to drain the life out of. That's how most marriages are working. And that's why they are coming to an end. But you know what? If you really love a person, it's not about what they can do for you. It's about what you can do for them. That's God's kind of love. That's why he said you should esteem other people better than yourself. You need to look at it and say, Father, it's not all about me. It's not all about what I can get. How can I be a blessing to people? How can I help people? There's a balance here. I hadn't got time to put everything in its total balance. This isn't just talking about laying down like a rug and letting everybody walk over you. Sometimes that's not helping people. Sometimes you become an enabler and you actually make them uh, wrong. There's a time to stand up and do things. But I'm saying that you ought to have this attitude that Christ had. You need to walk in love with people. If you want to be happy, you need to die to yourself and get to where it's not all about you. And you put other people first and you start using your life to lay down and to bless people. And if it's an inconvenience and if it costs you some money, and if it costs you time and effort, so be it. You aren't here to just get everything. It's not all about you. It's about how you can be a blessing. It's in losing your life that you find what life is really all about. That's what Jesus taught. And if you really want to be happy, one of the reasons Paul was able to sing and worship God is because he had put other people, he esteemed them better than himself. And here he was in a prison in Philippi, beaten and in stocks and singing and worshiping the Lord because by him obeying the heavenly vision, people had been born again, lives were being changed, and he was happy because he was esteeming other people better than himself. You'll never have that kind of happiness as long as you think that you are the center of the universe. Amen. Amen. Sobering thoughts, but those are all true. So in verse five, here's the sixth thing. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant And was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So if you're going to truly walk in happiness, one of the ways that Paul did it was he had this mind in him, the same attitude towards things that Jesus did. And it talks about Jesus who being in the form of God, 
You know, it's old English. It's kind of wordy, but basically it's just talking about that Jesus was God. It says in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus was God. Jesus didn't come into existence when he was born through the Virgin Mary. He is the one that created the heavens and the earth. Colossians chapter one says, also John chapter one, verse three says that all things were created by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. First Timothy chapter three, verse 16 says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The only time that ever happened was through Jesus. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. Jesus existed before the world was ever created, before people were ever created. Jesus is God who limited himself and became a man. You know, there's passages of scripture that says the heavens, even the heavens of the heavens are not able to contain him. Think of that. The heavens of the heavens aren't able to contain God. And yet God entered into a physical body and became limited to one spot. That's just mind blowing. It's mind blowing that infinite God would become finite and limit himself. Now in the spirit, he was still God. This is the reason that they use the term Jesus Christ. Jesus refers to his humanity. Christ refers to his divinity. And he was Christ, Lord at his birth is what the angels said. In the spirit, he was in communion with his father as a one day old baby. But in his physical body, it was one day old. He couldn't control himself. He had to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Luke chapter two, verse 52. There was a time it says being found in fashion as a man. In these verses right here in verse eight. There was a time that Jesus in his physical mind realized I'm God. He didn't know that when he was a day old, a week old, a month old. He had to grow in wisdom and in stature. In the spirit, he was God. But his physical body had to grow. He had to learn to feed himself. He had to learn to walk. And there came a time that Jesus, finally, it dawned on him, I'm God. And he had to accept it by faith. That's why two of the three temptations in Matthew chapter four and Luke chapter four, this is why the devil started them with, if you be the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. Satan was playing on the fact that Jesus had to accept by faith that he's God. That's a little hard to accept. I know most of you have never thought of these things, but Jesus was God And yet he humbled himself and became a man, limited to a body. And you know, this is something I just learned last month when I was in um, the UK with Bob Yandy. And he, I've taught about all of these things, but God taught about that. I mean, God, well, God did through Bob, but the, but Bob was saying, not only did Jesus accept this human form, but now he's resurrected from the dead. He's got a glorified body. It's not got the same limitations on it our physical body does, but God Almighty, Jesus, will, ex- will have this physical body throughout eternity. He not only had it for a brief period of time here on this earth, but he was resurrected in a bodily form and Jesus is going to live in a bodily form for all eternity. Infinite God has limited himself to identify with us throughout all eternity. Man, that's mind blowing. You know what? There's not a person in here that if you were God and if you were infinite and if you had created the entire universe, billions and billions and billions of light years couldn't even contain you. You're bigger than anything that you could build. There's not a person in here that would have given all of that up to become a human being. And then much less let your own creation insult you and mock you and ignore you and crucify you and put you to death. Man, you talk about love. What an awesome example of love. And it's following when he just had said, you're supposed to walk in love. 
towards each other. Esteem others better than yourself. And then immediately goes into using Jesus as an example. We're supposed to have the mind of Christ. We're supposed to think the way that Jesus did, that we would literally lay our life down for other people. That we would literally esteem other people better than ourselves. And yet very, very few Christians have this mindset. And that's the reason very few Christians really walk in true happiness. It's the reason they don't have the real joy of the Lord is because we aren't living this way. The sixth thing that we were talking about is that you've got to have this mind of Christ. You've got to be willing to literally put people ahead of yourself. You know, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, what's the first thing most of you do? How dare them do that to me? They didn't, they just, that's rude. And you think about what they did to you. Did you know if you would think about this other person instead of thinking about yourself? You know, there may be reasons why they did what they did. Maybe their blinker's broken. That's a possibility. It's probably not true, but it's a possibility. You don't know why they did what they did. Maybe they just came from the doctor and found out that their wife of 50 years has two months to live. And they're trying to process this and they're going home and they're thinking about it. Maybe they were grief stricken and maybe they just for a moment forgot you and were thinking only about themselves. Is that possible? Is that possible that out of the millions of people on the roadway, somebody was thinking of something other than you when they were driving? (laughs) You know, there could be reasons why people do what they do. And see, if you were to get this mindset where you esteem others and you think about them and you love them, it would really diffuse the anger on the inside of you. It would take away this anger and bitterness and it would allow you to love people in ways that most of us have not been able to love people. You know, I actually had a situation. I'm going to try and give you the quick version of this because I got two more points to make. The quick version of this is that there was a woman who worked for me and um, her first husband died. She had two children by this first marriage. She walked into a daylight donut shop and a man that she had never seen before walked up and said, uh, called her name and said, you've got uh, three corporations that you're the head of and you've got two children, but your husband is dead. And if you will worship me as God, I'll fix all of your problems. She'd never seen this guy before. And he was operating under his demonic stuff. And anyway, she just was flabbergasted because everything he said was true. So she worshiped him as God, married him. And this guy could quote the entire New Testament, but he would levitate tables He would leave his body and bark at the moon, scratch on the walls. Spirits were always walking through their house. He tried to kill her twice. Broke her neck one time, poured hot grease over her. And he threatened that if the kids from that previous marriage ever came out of the basement, he'd kill them. And so the night that I met her, his kids had snuck up trying to get something out of the refrigerator and he found them and he tried to kill them. And they had her and her two kids separated from him on the front lawn with the police standing in between them. And they brought me over to say, tell this woman that she doesn't have to live with a guy like that. She'd just gotten born again about a month before this. And the people that led her to the Lord brought me over there and said, tell her that she doesn't have to live with him. So I said, well, you don't have to live with him. The Bible says that if he's pleased to dwell with you, then don't depart. I said, it doesn't sound like he's pleased to dwell with you. You're free to leave if you want to. And I said it about like that. And she looked at me and she says, but, and I said, but it's just the devil in that guy that makes him the way that he is. And I said, now that you're born again, you got God on the inside of you and greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You can overcome this problem. And the people that brought me over there said, no, no, don't tell her that. They wanted her to leave this guy. And I said, you can leave. But I said, God can fix this. It's no big deal. And so she says, would you teach me how to do this long story? But she came to work for me. She ran our ministry in the very beginning of it in Lamar, Colorado. And this woman, he, he just did terrible things to her. Terrible, terrible things. And I began to teach her some of the same things that I'm sharing with you. That you know what? You ought to lay your life down and love this man. 
How do you know that God didn't put you in his life just so that you could lead him to the Lord? And I began to teach her how to love him. And it's a very long story. She grew in this. It went through a lot of different stages. She had trouble. She struggled. She'd be good some days, bad some days. But it got to a place that he came to her and tried to kill her, took a butcher knife to her, and she broke out laughing. And he said, what are you doing? He says, you can't touch me. I'm covered by the blood of the lamb. Greater is he that's in me than he's in the world. And he just put his knife down and he says, well, if you let me go fix me a sandwich. And she went and fixed him a sandwich. So she saw me at a, at a store the next day and she came up and just was hugging me and kissing me. And she says, he tried to kill me last night and God preserved my life. And she was just so thankful. And she began to pray for him and she began to look at his side of the story. This guy, he was a black man that was born in um, Jamaica, I think it was. She was a white woman. And he was dedicated to the devil at his birth. They killed chickens and covered him in blood. And he was raised in the occult. And he was taught all of this demonic stuff. And I began to start teaching her, you need to think about him. Why is he acting the way he is? And as she thought about it, the Lord showed her these things. The Lord gave her a supernatural love for that man. Supernatural. So much so that they actually finally got him to a place where he would go to a Christian counselor. And this guy who was a counselor was a friend of mine. I knew him. And he went to get counseling. And so they brought him in and they asked the man first. They said, all right, so what's your side of the story? And he lied and said everything about his wife that was true of him. He said, she's tried to kill me with the butcher knife. She broke my neck. She poured hot grease over me. She leaves her body at night and barks at the moon. She levitates tables. She's into the occult. She's demonic. And he said all of this stuff. And this friend of mine got so mad. He stood up and he said, divorce this woman. Leave this woman. You do not have to put up with that. And his wife said, now, honey, you calm down. There's always two sides to the story. So they said, all right, what's your side of the story? And when it came her time, you know what she said? She said, I used to think that he was my problem, but I've come to realize that it's me. It's things inside of me that have made me so hurt and stuff. And it's not him. And she says, I love him. And she says, I'm working on it. God's helping me to become a better person. And she didn't accuse him of a single thing. Let me ask you, if you had gone for marriage counseling and your mate had started saying things about you that weren't true about you, but it was all of the stuff about them, how many of you would have even let them get that out of their mouth without you standing up and demanding your way? And then when you were asked your side of the story, how many of you wouldn't have justified yourself and have put the other person down? This woman never made a single accusation. And she says, you know, I'm as much a part of the problem as he is. And when they left that place, the husband was trembling. He got in the car and he says, what's happened to you? He says, why didn't you justify yourself? Why didn't you tell him the truth? And she says, I came here to get you help. God's already set me free. And she says, if running me down helps you, so be it. She says, that's fine. And this guy got so scared. He lost all of his ability to levitate tables, leave his body and do these things. And he got so afraid of his wife that he moved out. And she got the kids out of the basement, brought them up, started getting the family back together. And he was gone for six months and she just praised God and loved God. And in six months time, her husband got born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit and moved back in. And then they had problems because he wanted to go to Ramah and be a preacher. And she didn't want to be a preacher's wife. (laughs) And all of that happened in a situation that's probably worse than any of you live in because somebody laid their life down for the other person and loved them to the point that even if it meant their own demise and their own hurt, they didn't care. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a time for you to defend your children and do things. There's a balance to all of this. But I'm saying that the attitude is this same mind that Christ had. That he didn't come and he didn't complain. He didn't persecute us, come and blast us. He extended love towards people. The very people who were crucifying him, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He turned the other cheek. 
And Paul is saying, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If you would learn to walk in love like that, which you can do, you can't do it just out of yourself. It's not normal. But if you would humble yourself, God will show you his love for you. And then once you accept and receive this supernatural love for you and you understand it's by grace, you'll be able to turn around and give it to other people. One of the reasons that very few people operate in this kind of love is because they've never let God love them unconditionally. Religion has taught us that God's love for you is tied to how good you are. And when you're good, then God will love you. But when you're bad, God's going to reject you. That's not true. Man, God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God loves us because he is love and not because we are lovely. And he laid his life down and he didn't rail on people. The only people that Jesus ever rebuked were the religious hypocrites who trusted in themselves and had no need for God because they were holy enough. But man, to the prostitutes, to the publicans who were liars and thieves, he had mercy on them. He showed mercy towards them. That's the way that we're supposed to have. We're supposed to have this same mind that Christ had. And if you would do that, and if you would honestly love other people, you'd find out that your happiness, your joy would be unaffected. How's somebody going to hurt you? It's really insecurity. Some of you, I hadn't got time to explain this. I pray that you could just get it. But it's really insecurity that causes us to be as angry and bitter and criticize people and do things that we do. Because you know what? You, you have to have other people reaffirm you and constantly stroke you and tell you that you're okay because you're insecure. But once you know that God loves you and that God Almighty loves you, you don't care that much about anybody else. The truth is, in a psychological term, most people are codependent upon other people. You need to become to a place to where the only person you're dependent upon is Jesus. And if Jesus loves you, it doesn't matter if it's your mate. It doesn't matter if it's your children. It doesn't matter if it's your boss. It doesn't matter who it is. If anybody else is upset at you, it doesn't matter because God Almighty loves you and it doesn't bother you that other people don't think you're all that great. I have people come and criticize me a lot. And I get a lot of criticism. I remember in Kansas City one time, a guy walked up to me and just started reading me the riot act and telling me how many things I was wrong on. And you know what? I just remember looking at him and said, who died and made you God? And this guy looked at me like, what are you saying? And I said, you know what? I don't know you. Who are you? Why do I care what you think about me? And he starts, well, you should care. And I said, I don't. I said, compared to God, God Almighty loves me. And I'm not under any delusions and I'm perfect and do everything perfectly. But if God loves me, who are you? You are insignificant. I said, I don't care what you think about me. And whether you realize it or not, when people criticize you and it gets to you and it just bothers you, it's because you are dependent upon having their approval. Once you get to a place that you've accepted the love of God, then you don't care. It's like Jesus. Jesus was in constant communion with his father and his father. He says, I always do those things that please my father. He heard his father say in an audible voice, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And because of that, Jesus could preach the truth. And even if preaching the truth caused everybody to leave. There was over 5,000 men that he fed with five loaves and two fish. The next day they came to make him king. And he refused it. And he got to preaching to him. You aren't seeking me because you love me. You're seeking me because I filled your belly. Your motives are wrong. And he preached a hard message. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any life in you. They thought he was talking to cannibalism. Which he wasn't talking to cannibalism. If he would have been a modern day preacher, he would have fallen all over himself trying to apologize. And oh, please don't misunderstand. I don't want anybody to misunderstand. No, he just made it worse. He says, I'm telling you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, there is no life in you. He repeated it and 5,000 people left him. 
But you know what? It didn't affect him at all because the only person he was out to please was his father. And because he was in relationship with his father, it didn't bother him that other people had rejected him. He turned around to his 12 disciples and he says, will you leave also? Instead of saying, guys, do you still love me? I need a hug. (laughs) I've had 5,000 people leave. (laughs) Are you still with me? No, it wasn't like that. It was like, there's the door. Do you guys want to leave? And Peter says, Lord, we hadn't got any place else to go or we probably would. Amen. (laughs) Where else can we go? You're the only one with the words of eternal life. But Jesus wasn't one of these that had to have people constantly reaffirm him. He was so established in the love of God. You need to get this mind of Christ on the inside of you that he came. He didn't have to promote himself. He walked by people every single day that he created. He was their God. And they didn't even know who he was. You know, it's one thing to be rejected, but to be ignored. You're God Almighty. And yet you're in a body that the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, that there wasn't any beauty in him that we should desire him. He wasn't beautiful. If I had been God and if I had decided to become a man, I would have been the strongest specimen of mankind that was ever created. Amen. I'd have been a foot taller than anybody else. I'd have been awesome. (laughs) But Jesus, there was nothing in him that was exceptional. Any of you that feel like, you know, when they were passing out good looks, you thought they said books and you said, I I want a bland one. Amen. Or something like that. You know, any of you that don't feel like you're the most beautiful thing, Jesus knew exactly what you were like. He, there, he wasn't a good looker. He wasn't special. He was ignored. He was rejected. He was passed over. I'm sure that they picked other people to play the games before they did him because he wasn't the biggest, the best at anything. Jesus went through all of that And suffered all that because he was content in the fact that his father loved him and he didn't have to have the approval and the affirmation of other people. I tell you, we're missing out on a lot of stuff. We need to let the mind of Christ be in us who humbled himself and put other people ahead of himself. Let his own creation mock him. They blindfolded him, spit in his face and said, Prophesy if you're the Christ. Tell me who it is that smote you. Man, if I'd have been God, I'd have told him. (laughs) I'd have let him have it. When I rose from the dead, I wouldn't have appeared to a woman out of whom seven demons were cast. I'd have gone to Herod or to Pilate. I'd have shaken Pilate's bed and I'd woke him up and said, Pilate, are your hands clean now? I'd have hovered over the city of Jerusalem. They had all seen him crucified. I'd have done something. Jesus never appeared to one single person that didn't already believe. He could have done things to make people believe. But that's not the way that he is. He wants you to accept him by faith. He's meek and lowly in heart is what he said in Matthew chapter 11, the last couple of verses. He's meek and lowly in heart. God Almighty is a meek God. Boy, these things I'm saying about the Lord are just so different. And here we are, created beings, sinful created beings that have done so many things wrong and yet we're arrogant and we promote ourselves and exalt ourselves. and if anybody gets in our way, we'll squash them like a bug. And here's God Almighty who had every right to do it, who humbles himself and serves people and puts other people better than himself and esteems other people better than himself. And Paul is saying, have this same mind that was in Christ. This is one of the keys to why he was happy and why he was successful. Man, that is powerful. There's no way I'm going to cover four points here today. Let's go down. I'm going to have to skip down to verse 19. I'm just breaking right into the midst of this. But he says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. If you are going to really walk in happiness, if you're going to know true joy, you're going to have to take the word of life. You're going to have to take the word of God and put it forth. You're going to have to exalt God's word above your own feeling. 
And I could minister on this for days. I've got a tape series out there entitled Harnessing Your Emotions that is really powerful. I'd encourage you to get it. But the Word of God gives you commands to let not your heart be troubled. Luke, uh, John chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians chapter 4, and other places. John 16, 33, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In Psalms 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And on and on and on and on, all the promises go. If you are going to truly walk in joy, you're going to have to get to a place that you let God's Word rule you and not how you feel. And some people would say, well, I can't rejoice because this happened. The Lord said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. The Lord gave you a command not to let your heart be troubled. He would be unjust to command you to do something that you couldn't do. Most people have bought into a lie. We are more influenced by psychology today than any generation that has ever existed. And psychology has its root in Freud and stuff like that. It's demonic. It is not godly. And psychology will tell you that you are just nothing but an evolved animal. And the reason you feel this way is because of what this person did to you, because of what that person did to you. That is not true. If that was true, then God's commands would be unjust to tell you to let not your heart be troubled. Because we live in a fallen world and there's bad things that happen. People are going to treat you bad. And most people feel justified in being angry and being upset. It's wrong. You're going to have to exalt the Word of God and do what the Word of God says when you don't feel like doing what the Word of God says. And there's very few people today who will do that. Most people think, well, I'd be a hypocrite. Well, it just depends on who you think is the real you. If you think this emotional part of you is the real you, then you'd be a hypocrite to act differently than your emotions. But the truth is that there's a born again part of you in the spirit. That's the real you. And in the spirit, Galatians 5, and 23 says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's what you are in the spirit. And if you feel anger because somebody's done something to you, all that means is you aren't in the spirit. You're in your flesh. You're operating out of your emotions. And if you're going to truly walk in happiness, if you're going to follow what Paul says, you've got to get to a place to where I don't care what you feel like in your emotions, you're going to go by what you, who you are in the spirit. I've had people spit big old wads of chewing, chewing tobacco right in my face as I'm witnessing to them. And you know what? I didn't feel warm fuzzies. I wanted to punch their lights out. But I've learned that that's my flesh in the spirit. I know that God loved that person. And I just wiped it off. I never missed a word in the sentence. And I kept telling them about how much Jesus loved them. And I went contrary to what I felt. I went by what I believed instead of what I felt. Some of you are looking at me like, you can't live this way. Yes, you can. Jesus turned to the very people. And I guarantee you, in his flesh, he had sinless flesh, but nonetheless, it was flesh. It was in his natural person. He did not feel joy and love towards these people that were crucifying him. He felt pain. And yet he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't retaliate. He didn't strike back. You don't have to do that. Many of you have been raised that this is just the way that it is and you're just being honest. No, you're just being carnal. You're just operating in the flesh. You got to get to a place where you exalt the word of God and what the word of God says about you, who you are in Christ Jesus. And you're going to have to get to where you live by what the word of God says and not what you feel. If you indulge your feelings and encourage your feelings, you're going to be a miserable, sad, depressed person. You know what? I get tempted to have all kinds of feelings, but I just reject them. I don't like bad feelings, so I don't endorse them. I don't submit to them. When my son died, Jamie and I were called. It, it took us, we had to get up and drive an hour and 15 minutes to get into town. And during that time, we didn't know what the outcome was going to be. I started feeling sadness. 
and fear and hurt and stuff that anybody would feel if you were told that your son was dead. And I didn't like those feelings. And so I rejected them. I said, I am not going to be this way. I am not going to get upset. I'm not going to be mad with God. I am not going to grieve. And I just started praising God and worshiping him. And man, as soon as I did, the Lord brought scriptures back to my remembrance, gave me prophecies. And anyway, we spoke and our son was raised from the dead after being dead for five hours and came back to life. You know why? Because I harness my emotions. If you let your emotions run wild, if you let your, if you let grief in and sorrow and bitterness and all of these things, and then you try and get on top of the situation, you've already lost it. The very first thing that Jesus told his disciples the night before his crucifixion is don't let your heart be troubled. If you let your emotions run wild and then try and rein them in after the fact, it's too late. You're going to have to start exalting the word of God over your emotions. You're going to have to get to where you know how to not give place to anger and bitterness and hurt and fear and sadness and sit down and have a pity party. You're going to have to start controlling yourself. And I know somebody, oh, I can't do that. Just grow up. Pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up. It is part of being an adult. Most of you don't feel like going to work every day, but you know what? It's part of being an adult. You just get up and do it. You, since you're a little kid, you don't just do what you want to. You do what you need to do. That's part of being an adult. You need to grow up and realize that I don't care what I feel like. I may want to punch your lights out, but God said to love you. And so you turn the other cheek and say, I love you, regardless of what you feel. You're going to have to exalt the word of God if you want to walk in the joy of the Lord. Amen. Most people don't care much for that. You know what? I only got three things covered, but I'm going to quit. The heart can't absorb more than the seat can endure. I'll try and make it up tonight. Hey, man, we'll try and cover five things tonight. But we've covered seven things that Paul had that if you would adopt those attitudes, those mindsets, you could have joy. You could walk in supernatural peace and happiness. And I encourage it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Praise God. Once again, I want to give an invitation. If there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, I've talked enough about how God loved us and came to this earth and limited himself to being a physical human being because of his great love for you and died for you. I've shared enough with you today that you could be born again. You could make Jesus your personal Lord. You could receive this love that he's extended towards you. If you've never done that, you need to do that today. You need to be born again. And then once you're born again, every single person needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes a lot of things. It includes speaking in tongues. It includes many gifts of the Spirit. But you know, the scripture says in Romans chapter five, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. You can't operate in this love that we've been talking about today without the Holy Spirit. You know, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's just like I was baptized in love. Charles Finney said it was like waves of liquid love flowing over him. And I've often used that to describe the way that I felt. And I tell you what, I turned into a person who loved other people. I don't do it perfectly. I don't do it as well as I should, but I guarantee you my life just flip-flopped like that when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are some of you that are trying to do the right things, but you can't give away what you haven't received. You've got to receive God's love before you can love other people with God's kind of love. And receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the single most important thing outside of being born again for you walking in love. If you haven't received that, if you don't speak in tongues... I want to pray with you and help you to receive because you absolutely have to have those two things. You have to be born again and you have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit before you can really prosper. I am not saying that you'll go to hell if you aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. You can still go to heaven without the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, you can get there quicker. 
because you aren't going to have any power in you and you're going to die of something along the way. You can still go to heaven without the Holy Spirit, but you cannot live the victorious life that God wants us to live without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here today who'd say, I need one or both of those things? If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand. Let me pray with you and help you to receive. Here's some over here. We had, I forgot how many last night. How many were there? There was 32 that came forward and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and about four or five that received salvation. But if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand and didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward and we want to pray with you and help you to receive. Just come right down here to the front and we want to help minister to you. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. It's going to change your life. I believe you're going to be stronger than horseradish. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Just come stand right down here. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You know, the Bible says that before you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have to receive the giver which is Jesus. He's the one that fills people with the Holy Spirit. So you first of all have to know that you have been born again and that Jesus himself lives on the inside of you. Is there anybody up here who's not absolutely sure of that and that you need to pray with me first and make sure you're born again? Anybody? Right here. Praise God. It's going to change your life. Anybody else? Anybody else? Are you sure? I'm not trying to talk you out of your salvation, but there are just so many people today who are just assuming, well, I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? No. I go to church. Doesn't that make me a Christian? No. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. You got to be born again. You need a personal relationship. And the good news is Jesus already paid for your sins. All you've got to do is receive his salvation. Is there anybody else that wants to pray with me first besides this one lady to make sure that you've been born again? Anybody? Praise the Lord. All right, what I'm going to do, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10. Oh, here's one right here. Praise God. That's awesome. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's that simple. Jesus already paid for all of our sins. He's already forgiven our sins. But you have to receive that forgiveness. And the way you receive it is to make Jesus Lord. That doesn't mean that you'll never make a mistake because you can't fulfill that. But you are willing to turn your life over and to make Him the Lord of your life. You willing to do that? Awesome. I'd like to ask everybody in here to pray this with me. I'm going to say words similar to what you need to say. And if you will mean this from your heart then you're going to be born again. You're going to become a brand new person. So I'd like to ask everybody to repeat this with me. Just say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive that you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. You mean that. Welcome to the family. I believe you just got born again. Isn't that awesome? God bless you, sister. You believe that? You're a brand new person on the inside. You know what? You are a totally brand new person. There's no sin in you. God has wiped it all away. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the Bible says when you make Jesus your Lord, and now everybody up here is professing that you've made Jesus your Lord. The Bible says when you do that, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is really important. That means that God created you to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. So he wouldn't deny you the Holy Spirit. It says in Luke eleven thirteen, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He promised you ask, he gives. 
So we aren't going to beg. We aren't going to plead. We're just going to open up the doors of this temple and welcome the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And I guarantee you, God wants to fill you with His power more than you want to be filled. I can promise you that. So we're just going to lead you in a simple prayer. And then I'd like to ask our prayer ministers to come up here and they're going to stand behind you and lay hands on you. The reason we do this, because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So these are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're going to come up here. And after I lead you in prayer, they are going to lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And then... After they've laid hands on you, I want you to just start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. I was talking about that. We're going to exalt what the Word says. The Word says if you ask, He gives. And so I want you, after they lay hands on you, to just start thanking God that He did give you the Holy Spirit and that you are now possessed with the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. And then those of us who know how to pray in tongues, we're going to start praying in tongues because the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks well. So we're going to start praising God in our prayer language. And as we start praying in tongues, I want you to start praying with us and start praying in tongues. And I know some of you think, well, man, how do I do that? I've got a book that's going to explain the whole thing to you. But if you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. The only other instruction I'll give you is some people just wait on the Lord to make them speak in tongues. It doesn't happen that way. It's not like that. It's like when I spoke today. I spoke. It was me speaking. The Holy Spirit didn't speak, but He inspired what I said. I believe that He communicated through me, but it wasn't pure Holy Spirit. It was me talking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's the way speaking in tongues is. Acts 2.4 says, They spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. You do the talking. The Holy Spirit's not going to force you. You have to start talking and by faith believe that the Holy Spirit's inspiring it. And when you first start out, because it's so strange to be saying syllables that you don't know what they mean, at first you may be hindered and bothered by it, but once you get over the newness of it and start worshiping the Lord, you'll find it just flows out of you and it's a powerful experience. And this book will explain the whole thing to you and it'll help you. But that's what we're going to do. Y'all ready? You going to receive? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer and I will speak in tongues. Amen. Father, I love you and thank you for these two who prayed and got born again here today. Thank you that we are all now the, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we open up the doors of this temple And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come into every life here. We want your power. We want this love. We want the Holy Spirit released in our life. So we welcome you into our life right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. We lay hands on you now and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We just loose this power to flow into your life. And Holy Spirit, we believe that you are filling every temple right now with your presence. And we receive the gifts too. We receive this gift of speaking in tongues. And right now we begin to glorify you in a language that bypasses our brain, comes straight out of our born again spirit. We worship you in spirit and in truth. Those of you who know how to pray in tongues, I'd like to ask you to just start worshiping the Lord right now so that they won't feel like people are listening to them. And as we speak in tongues, I want you just to begin to quit thanking Him in English and start speaking in a language that you don't understand. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but your tongue will be unique to you. It won't be the same as theirs, but it'll get you to talking. And once you start talking, don't quit. Just keep talking. Don't worry about what it sounds like either. It's like when a little baby first starts speaking. It doesn't really sound like a language, but you know what it is. The father knows what that child's trying to say. Your heavenly father hears your heart. Don't worry about what it sounds like. It'll become fluent as you go ahead and speak. You got to open your mouth to speak in tongues. Can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. Just speak right now. 
cumbre si cajoro tu y que la mancoro si la mambrandi la cámara. Rosho hobra gikerambrandi la mambrio tomba coro shondono. Brista mancoro tono maria tamarito. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for filling every one of these with you, the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Man, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. God's moving in these lives. Father, we thank you for this. Hallelujah. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I want you to know that whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because he promised that he would. You know, the first time I prayed and asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, it was three and a half years before I spoke in tongues. But that's because I'm a Baptist. And I had so much fear about it. You know what? If you live in Texas and aren't a Baptist, somebody messed with you. (laughs) But anyway, I just kept on and God finally answered my questions. And now I speak in tongues a lot. And I've got a book that I want to give every one of you. It'll also talk about what true salvation is. And for these two ladies who prayed to be born again, it'll explain what that is. You need to understand what's happening in order to get the maximum benefit out of this. So if you would, I want to give you a free copy of this book. Robert right here is a man in the aisle with his Bible up. And if you would just follow him for a moment, he will take just a moment and give you a free book. If you have any questions, they'll pray with you. They'll help you any way they can. But just follow Robert here for just a moment or two and let them give you this free book. And I encourage you to read it and receive everything that God's got for you. Amen. Let's praise God for these. Isn't this awesome? God bless you. Now you're a tongue-talking Baptist. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? Thank you, Jesus. These are our prayer ministers here. And you know, just like Carly was sharing earlier, they took these students to Kansas City. Every one of these have been through a training session, and we are seeing miracles happen. And if you need a miracle today, if you need God to touch your life in some way, I'm not going to be the one that prays with you personally. It's just an inefficient way to do it. And I don't have to do it. Every one of these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says believers lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. So I'd like to give you an opportunity. If you need prayer for anything, just come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers pray with you. And we're going to believe God for miracles. If that's you, come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers pray for you. Also remember that we have those two meetings going on starting right now, one floor down. We're talking about those of you who are in full-time ministry and you would like to get a degree from Karis Bible College without having to go to college for two years. We'll give you credit for some life experience. And also we're starting a ministerial association. Pastor Barry Burns will be talking about that down there. So if you're interested in that, please take advantage of it. If you need prayer, come right now and let someone pray with you. Remember that tonight we start at 7 o'clock, then tomorrow morning it's 10 o'clock and 6 p.m. We start an hour earlier on Saturday night, and so come back at 6 p.m. But if you need prayer, come and let one of our prayer ministers agree with you right now. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you tonight at 7 p.m.